You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Uh, thanks for joining me on this day after Monday. Happy Tuesday uh, to you and yours. Uh, we have an awesome, awesome show uh, planned for you today. Uh, we've baked in, I think, a little disagreement because we're going to circle back on the uh, Will Smith, Chris Rock topic. And we've reached out to a couple of guys that are actual defenders of Will Smith, or at least they were uh, Sunday night when the events were going down. Uh, Steve Dace uh, from The Blaze uh, will join us at, at some point during today's show. Uh, Steve, kind of surprisingly, shockingly, uh, defending uh, Will Smith, Will Smith's actions and behaviors. Uh, but we'll start with uh, Brian Sharp a.k.a. Hotep Jesus. Uh, I think Brian, uh, Hotep Jesus, is probably uh, the most qualified person to speak on any of this as the founder and host of the Grifties. He's been in Chris Rock's position uh, several times, hosting a major award show uh, and taking on that responsibility of being humorous and engaging and entertaining to a massive audience and a massive crowd of celebrities while hosting the Grifties. And, and so he knows the shoes. He's walked in the shoes that Chris Rock was walking in. He's filled those shoes during the Grifties the past two years. And so I can't wait to hear what uh, Hotep Jesus has to say about this. We'll also talk a little NFL football. Uh, they're changing their rules and becoming more woke, uh, operating and running their business like a college campus. Uh, they're installing quotas on demanding that each NFL team, all 32 NFL teams, must have a black assistant uh, offensive coach, which I, can, I would bet every dime I have, all 32 teams already have that. Uh, but the hook is now that women will count as well. They must have a black or a woman or some sort of minority on their offensive uh, coaching staff uh, the quota system has come to the NFL. It's crazy. We'll talk to TJ Moe uh, about that. But uh, we'll start uh, with my second fire on this Will Smith situation, and then we'll bring in Hotep Jesus. Again, probably the most qualified person. I mean, the Grifties, other than the Academy Awards, I don't know what's bigger than the Grifties, what has more pressure than hosting the Grifty Awards. So uh, let me start this fire, and then we'll bring in Brian Sharp. Uh, in the court of public opinion, Will Smith will benefit from the indifference of black elites when it comes to black on black violence. Barack Obama will not issue a statement suggesting that Chris Rock could be his brother. Reverend Al Sharpton won't call for a boycott 
of the Academy if Smith isn't harshly punished. Lawyer Benjamin Crump will not threaten a lawsuit. Black Lives Matter and the NAACP will not take positions on Smith's assault on Chris Rock. No one will analogize Smith's slap as a painful reminder of the public abuse black slaves were subjected to by their white masters. Instead, black elites, AKA liberal Negro Wranglers, will seek to rationalize, justify, celebrate, and weaponize Smith's emotional and criminal behavior at Sunday's Academy Awards. Late Monday night, Twitter influencer Jamel Hill floated the first trial balloon in manipulating the narrative related to Smith's unjustified assault. Writing for The Atlantic, Smith argued that, or Hill argued, that the reaction to Smith's crime was a tale of two Americas, one white and one black. She said she couldn't help but notice the disproportionate outrage that many people in white America and many in, in the Hollywood elite are showing towards Smith. She pointed to an angry, since-deleted tweet by director Judd Apatow that criticized Smith's out-of-control rage and violence, and comedian Howard Stern comparing Smith to Donald Trump. Hill's job is to calm white liberals by assuring them that black people do not see Smith's outburst as problematic. To the contrary, Hill insinuated that black people were inspired by Smith's actions. She quoted actress Tiffany Haddish saying, quote, when I saw a black man stand up for his wife, that meant so much to me. The underlying message of Hill's column in The Atlantic is that black people do not have a set of values and principles that determine our point of view. Everything is based on race. Uh, Hill went on CNN Plus last night to discuss her views on Will Smith. Take a look. You have to actually understand this on an even deeper level than that. For black women, we just watched confirmation hearings with Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson, right? We just saw everything that she went through, saw how she was, you know, really lambasted in the public eye. Yep. And we saw all the things that she had to deal with. And she was, um, you know, she was often lauded for keeping cool and collected. Sometimes when things happen, people don't feel that way. And I think for black women in particular, because I saw what Tiffany Haddish said as well, where she yeah. said that she felt... Um, she felt very uh, encouraged, if you will, by the fact that Will Smith in this very public setting was standing up for his black wife. Right. And that's a protection that black women often aren't afforded. Black women felt encouraged uh, by the assault, according to Jamel Hill and Tiffany Haddish. We know that had a white male slap Chris Rock in defense of his wife's honor, Haddish, Obama, Sharpton, Crump, BLM, the NAACP, and Hill would all be disproportionately outraged. There would be calls for the white actor to be stripped of his award, permanently banned from the Oscars, and jailed for several weeks or months. None of that will happen to Smith because black elites will and have convinced the establishment that the bad behavior of black people should not be taken seriously. Black lives do not matter. White perpetrators matter. Chris Rock is Michael Moultrie Jr., a four-year-old black boy shot in the head in Chicago. Rock is Sereni Broughton, a seven-year-old black girl killed by a bullet in the chest in Chicago. 
Black elites have not and never will beg you to say the name Michael Moultrie or Sereni Broughton. They're unimportant. They were not killed by white people. Chris Rock, despite his fame and wealth, is unimportant too. He was slapped by the wrong colored perpetrator. Rock knows it. That's why he won't be pressing charges against Smith. He won't be asking the Academy to strip Smith of his Best Actor Award. Black men settling their petty differences with violence is acceptable behavior in America. It's acceptable because the black voices granted the largest microphones tell the world to ignore our violent mistreatment of each other. 30 minutes after Smith assaulted Rock, the white and black liberal elites assembled inside the Dolby Theater showered Smith with applause as he blamed Richard Williams, the father of tennis legends, Venus and Serena's Williams, and God for in inspiring his attack on rock. Smith cried, he proclaimed that love will make you do crazy things. He said he was a crazy father, just like Richard Williams. He said he was overwhelmed by what God had called him to do. His acceptance speech was absolutely deranged. He sounded like Jim Jones addressing his followers in Guyana. The audience of elites drank Smith's Kool-Aid. No one should be rationalizing Smith's behavior. We should be pleading for Smith to get mental and emotional help. Stripping Smith of his Oscar might shake him from some of the delusion created by living the past 35 years as a pampered and entitled celebrity. Punishment serves the perpetrator as much as the victim. Smith's 160-word apology was weak. He assaulted Rock on an international television broadcast. He wrote an apology on Instagram. He continued to pretend that Rock's harmless G.I. Jane joke was a bridge too far. Now, six days before the Oscars, Jada Pinkett Smith released a TikTok video claiming she loved her shaved head and that she didn't care what people thought of her hairstyle. Take a listen. So if I'm doing a cover, everybody, no, we want your hair straight and flowy. And it's like, all right, cool, but that's not really like what my hair likes to do. <laughs> so I had to learn to get the courage to just go, nah, I'm not doing that. Which is why I feel the freedom today. I don't give two craps what people feel about this bald head of mine, because guess what? I love it. She loves it. Will Smith needs to explain why he initially laughed at Rock's joke. Beyond an apology, he should state how he plans to atone for embarrassing Rock, the Williams family, the Academy, and overshadowing the other nominees and winners. Smith needs to be held accountable. His actions damage public discourse. Comedians play an important role in free societies. They protect and expand free speech. Comedians and ministers are authorized to speak uncomfortable truths. We expect them to say things publicly that others won't have the courage to do. Dave Chappelle creates the room for the public to ponder whether we've gone too far in protecting the sensitivities of the LGBTQIA community. Joe Rogan's podcast lets us debate the appropriateness of mask and vaccine mandates. Jamel Hill and Tiffany Haddish support Smith slapping rock 
because they want to live in a world where no one questions the motives, behavior, and logic of black men, black women. Rock is collateral damage in a war to silence men. Will Smith is a Trojan horse in that war. Mm. That's my fire. Uh, I'm gonna be very interested here if Brian Sharp, uh, AKA Hotep Jesus can put this fire out. Uh, Hotep Jesus tweeted uh, on the night of the Oscars, if you condemn Will Smith for this, you're what's wrong with the world. Mm. Uh, Brian, Hotep Jesus, uh, welcome back to the show. Do you stand by that tweet? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, 100% I do. And, and I want to highlight something you said. You brought up freedom of speech. Well, you know what freedom of speech in the Constitution sits right next to? The Second Amendment. And what does the Second Amendment represent? Violence. You see, without violence, you don't have freedom of speech. Now, let me ask you this, uh, Jason, and then I'm going to answer it right away because I know you won't be able to get it. Um, and not because you're not smart or anything like that. It's just it's just a very unique take. But why do white boys like hip hop? They like hip hop because it's freeing. You see, white people were the first male to be neutered and castrated on this continent we call North America. They did it with the Victorian ever, and they did it with Puritanism. White people weren't allowed to do various different things. Uh, and that why, that's why you saw some things such as Jim Crow. Jim Crow was created because white people were hanging with black people. And they were like, you are hanging with the black folks and you're acting like them, so on and so forth. You're dancing like them. You're carrying on like buffoons, blah, blah, blah. They didn't want white people being that free. So white boys gravitated towards hip hop because hip hop allowed them to be free, it allowed them to, to curse. It allowed them to be violent. When you think of masculinity, you should think of violence. Women are attracted to men who have the capacity to be violent, not violent men, but have the capacity. That's why you see women, they always go and they date some dude straight out of jail because they like men who have the capacity for violence. If you don't have the capacity of violence, there are many women that will be turned off by you, but they have to know that you have the capacity for violence. The white male has been neutered. So you're absolutely right when you said, well, if there was a white man that did it, then it would be different. And you are 100 percent correct. They would have condemned him. Benjamin Crump. Everybody would have came down on him for smacking Chris Rock. Why? Because the white man was the first male to be neutered on this continent. He's the first one to be castrated. He's the first one to have his masculinity stripped from him. And we saw that on January 6th when the white man went down into the Capitol to go get him some freedom. And he was condemned for that. They are afraid of white male violence because the white male is the majority in this country. If the white male has the capacity for violence, he has the capacity to overthrow a corrupt government. Now, the black man who has the capacity for violence and he consistently exudes that capacity of violence is the last male to be neutered, just like we were in slavery. And that's what they want to do. They want to castrate the black male and reduce his violence so that he doesn't inspire the white man to have violence to overthrow this corrupt regime that we call the Biden administration. And I digress. You've said a mouthful. Uh Unlike you, I think they probably provided you my column ahead of time. So I'm trying to digest what you just broke down to me in real time. Let's and walk so through it. I want to go. I, 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 I do want to run through it because, one, I think you've 
misinterpreted or misconstrued several things. The Second Amendment, okay. you mm -hmm. related it to violence. Yes. I think the Second Amendment is about the people retaining a defense of themselves from a corrupt government. And I think the founding fathers knew that government has a tendency to turn oppressive and corrupt. And so they wanted to leave us with the ability to defend ourselves because they know that governments can be oppressive. Defend with ourselves guns. with what? And with violence. Obviously. Well, look, if, if, if with guns, whether to arm yourself, whatever, yeah, we, we know that defense often requires a physical, violence. violent defense. Correct. Uh, but again, Will Smith, as it relates to this, he wasn't defending anything other than okay. perhaps his own masculinity. He certainly wasn't defending his wife. She wasn't harmed, assaulted in any way by Chris Rock's very harmless joke. Right. This dude may have been defending his ego, and we can't yes. have a society based off of people defending their egos and like, oh, you disrespected me. Therefore, I gotta pull out a gun and kill you. That's a chaotic society. That's why people are running up out of inner city neighborhoods. And we define, as black people, we define success as moving out of our own neighborhoods because too much of the mentality is, man, I was disrespected. I got to shoot you. You stepped on my Jordans. So that's one. Uh, uh, white people, hold on. You, you describe masculinity as violent. Mm -hmm. Yes. I disagree with that. Okay. I don't think I, I think that, look, sometimes you do have to defend yourself, but I don't think that you can reduce masculinity to just the ability to be violent. To me, uh -huh. I consider it very masculine to provide for family. Kids, What's the other P, though, Jason? What's the, other, what's the other P? There's two P's. Other protect P. and provide. Protect. Yeah, protect, protect, protect but yeah, protect I consider requires violence. No, 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 no. It does not always require violence because again, some people like take my mother. Okay. We were in the hood, in the show enough ghetto, and me and my brother, me and my brother are away staying with my father and my step family, and someone broke into our apartment back in the hood where my mother was living. Okay. In order to protect us, my mother took a second job mm. and moved us to a working class neighborhood. She moved mm. us up out of there to protect us. So taking a second job and mm. sacrificing her own uh, finances and taking on more responsibility, that was her way of protecting us. Again, you can protect your kids a lot of times by gutting it out and staying in a marriage and, mm -hmm. and, and deferring your happiness for the, for the betterment of your kids. There's all kinds of ways to protect people short of violence. Last resort, violence is okay. But there's more ways to be mad. You know, I, I look at both of my parents and you know, I'll apply some masculine, what my mother did, very masculine, taking on that second job and blah, blah, my father, never missed a day of work. Uh, I know plenty of guys who's, who's, in order to protect their families, make sure they had everything they need, very masculine mindset to work, being reliable, showing up, all of that. 
There's a lot of ways to be masculine short of being violent. For some reason, I can't read my own notes here, but you, <laughs> so you said well, I something talk about, about white people and free. Go ahead. Go ahead. Now, so so uh, with your mother, I wouldn't call that protectionism. I would call that prevention. Um, sort of like you have uh, Western medicine as opposed to uh, Ayurvedic medicine, which is preventative medicine, right? So she was preventing from another altercation from happening. Protection would be, okay, someone has already entered the house and I've grabbed my weapon or we're resorting to some sort of physical violence. But the thing is, I agree with 90% of what you said. I don't disagree. You know, my thing isn't about Will Smith. My thing is about the state of America as it is today. America as it is today is trying to redefine what masculinity is. They're trying to neuter men. They're trying to uh, feminize men. And we saw that with Leah Thomas, et cetera, et cetera. But they're trying to blur that lines of what masculinity really is. So when I saw Chris Rock get on stage and smack somebody, for saying something he deemed offensive, I said, okay, masculinity back. This is something I thought was a precedent that had to be set going forward to let people know men still do have the capacity to be violent, especially in places such as the Oscars. I loved it. Brian, 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 and I get what, I, I get what you're saying. No one, there's not one person in America who is honest, doubts, a black man's ability to turn violent towards another black man. Correct. No one doubts that. Matter of Correct. fact, they expect it. And Correct. so I don't think we needed any more proof on the world stage. Yeah, but what because again, Terry I, don't find what, I, I don't find anything that Will Smith did here as masculine. He open okay. hand slapped another man over disrespect. I find that emotional, childish, illogical. I'm not shocked that Jamel Hill and women are sitting around clapping. And, and we sit here and wonder. I mean, these are just facts. We sit here and wonder why inner city communities filled with single mamas are so violent. Go look at Jamel Hill, Tiffany Hat. They're applauding black men being violent with each other. That that's their definition of masculinity. That's their definition of protection. This is lunacy. This but, is the illogic. And so there's no question in terms of proper masculinity. We're being led astray and being taught that uh, masculinity expresses itself in some violent reaction. And masculinity actually expresses itself through a man's discipline and ability to be a reliable provider and protector for his family. That's true masculinity. Will Smith has exhibited, wasn't exhibiting any of that on Sunday. Uh, he was out there emotional like a little woman. I'm surprised he didn't try to pull Chris Rock's hair out, pull his bra off or whatever. That's what it looked like. A, 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 Anyway, go ahead. I think it's an unfair comparison because you're comparing the behavior of the lower class with the behavior of the upper class. We, for example, Terry Crews allowed a white man to grab his balls and he did nothing about it. And I know the majority of us saying he should have went upside that man's head. Now, I don't know if you agree with that sentiment or not, but I believe he should have went upside that man's head. Secondly, this isn't the, the first time uh, Will Smith has been violent at an event. There was a previous time where a white man tried to kiss him and he smacked him. So Will Smith already has the capacity for violence. We know. Okay. 
Okay, so let's unpack these things, One, even though these are connected, but just give me a chance to respond. Okay. If somebody sexually assaults you, grabs yes. your balls. Yes. You have every right, right. To, 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 to hit that person, back them off, whatever. Somebody, some man tries to kiss you. You have every right, man or woman, to, right. to get that person up off you any way that you can. Somebody says something about G.I. Jane and your wife's hair. That does not authorize legalize violence. I'm just sorry. It, it just doesn't. It's not comparable. Nobody. If somebody here went up and grabbed Jada's crotch. Yes. Cold cocking. Absolutely. But a harmless joke. And there's not even this whole little alopecia excuse that she's running out. There are people that believe this has nothing to do with alopecia. This has to do with all the chemicals to get thrown in black women's hair to make them look more white and all the weaves and everything else they're putting in their hair. It, it ha a lot of people believe that, that it has nothing to do with alopecia, that that is some excuse that has been concocted. But when you these women and you throwing these chemicals in your hair every weekend and, and, and getting new weaves and tying horse hair to yours and all, it, it, there's some complications that come from that. And so I just, she's on TikTok publicly uh, talking about she loves her hair, don't care what nobody else thinks. Uh, and so Chris Rock, hey, I love you, but can't wait to see you in G.I. Jane. Will Smith laughs, laughs at the joke. We can't see what Jada did to set him off. Is she... If she at some point said, what you laughing at? And then that clicked in this simp's head and mind. Oh, my God, Jada's mad. I better do something. Let me show everybody how manly I am. I know she has emasculated me in every way possible for years, including talking about this little boy that she was banging uh, on the side. He, his problem is with Jada and being the simp that he is, and because there's a lot of simps in all these gangs and inner city, instead of addressing it with his woman, he goes out and tries to recapture his masculinity by doing something violent to a black man. And we got Tiffany Haddish, Jamel Hill, and everybody. You go, boy. You go. I I'm encouraged by that. You stood up for a black woman. This is why we have so much violence in our communities. I, I don't disagree with you. You are absolutely 100%. I just need you to understand why I appreciated the moment. Because from the black person who sits in Hollywood, we don't see this type of behavior. We see them taking all types of abuse. We see them having writers put them in dresses. So when I saw somebody at that level smack somebody, somebody who he had personal beef with for years, when I saw him smack somebody, I said, okay, cool. We still got some masculinity that's living at that level. That's why I appreciated it. When I watch movies, I don't want to watch some Puritan, Victorian ever. I want to see some violence. I want to see some drug dealing. I want to see some guns get shot. That's the type of flicks I enjoy. So for my personality, I want to see some violence. And when I saw him get up on that stage at a place that's supposed to be, you know, you got to walk like this and you got to talk like that. You got to dress like this and make sure you squeeze your ass cheeks nice and tight and don't do this and don't do that. And I saw him step outside that boundary and I said, yes. Yes, some resemblance of humanity and masculinity. I loved it. I'm going to tell you why this shocks me, Brian, is because you're a hotep. 
Hoteps, in my view, think differently. They're independent thinkers. They think outside the box. And, and, and this sounds like you've been programmed, that, that, <laughs> that you, they've taught you. It, it's no different than, man, <laughs> do I love the taste of a McDonald's double cheeseburger. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> when I think of good meals, it, fast food joints come to mind. I've been programmed. There's yes. better food out here for me. Fart yes. tastes better, healthier for you, easier to digest, doesn't cause all these problems. And, and But I've been programmed to think yes. of bad stuff. And so I just listen to you rattle off. And trust me, like The Wire is my favorite show. Love The Sopranos. The Shield with Vic. I, I, I get Scarface is one of my Good favorite fellas. movies. Mm-hmm. I, got, got, all of it. Got, got it. Yes. But, but trust me, there's better stuff out here yes. and 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 that's why it, will smith smacking chris rock is whatever the worst fast food joint you can think of the most deadly fast food joint you can think of i, I don't want to call no names i don't want to hear it but it's probably some taco place uh, <laughs> <laughs> whatever is the that's what will smith smacking chris rock is if he yes. really wanted to be masculine, if he really wanted to do something that would have excited me, it's like, here's Will Smith, the most powerful man in Hollywood, just won the Best Actors Award, just killed the King Richard role. This man has the leverage to say whatever he wants about these Hollywood movies. This man could have given a speech about, hey man, why did it take me, Serena, and Venus Williams to force y'all to make a movie about a strong black man dedicated to his family that raised some great kids. Everybody that has watched this movie has been mesmerized at my performance, the narrative arc of the story. It is, to me, it was clearly the best movie of 2021. Mm. How Will Smith could have put pressure on Hollywood to make more movies about strong black fathers and be an inspiration and touch the minds of these kids. But instead, the only it's like we won't make believe movies about Wakanda and the black women that ran T'Challa and, and made the black. We, we want that garbage instead of something real like King Richard, one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. Will Absolutely. Smith dominated that role. And, yes. and this man had a chance to get up on a soapbox and wag his finger and say, we need more movies like this, that we blah, 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 blah. Instead of all these boycotts about who gets awards, let's make more movies about strong black men doing the right yes. thing. I don't, that, I wouldn't. That to me would have been masculine, powerful, uh, impact the culture. Him slapping uh, uh, Chris Rock, man. I can walk, I can go, I can just go home and go to my old neighborhood and see that. That's a dime a dozen. And it won't be slaps. They'll pull out guns right. and shoot each other. It yeah. might shoot me. So. No, you're right. I, I, the, 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 the Williams movie, I, you're right. Uh, uh, this did overshadow the Williams movie. And I thought the Williams movie, we need that programming. And when you said I'm programmed to like that type of content, Yes, I am programmed to like that content. I was raised in the 90s. I am programmed to like that type of content. You are not wrong when you said that. And I admit that every single day. I am programmed to like that debauched, decadent type of content. And it's something I'm trying to shake. 
However, I know it speaks to the inner masculinity in me that has the capacity for violence. And that is why it speaks to me. And that's why I'm so easily conditioned to those type of movies. But the Williams movie was masterful. And I love the moment in the movie where he's sitting at the meeting and he expresses his moment of flatulence. I was like, yes, that's exactly it. He farts in the middle of a meeting with all these, you know, distinguished white men. I love that. But yes, you're absolutely right. Um, this moment did overshadow the Williams movie, and um, we I pref- I would prefer that type of programming over um, the nonsense. Absolutely. I, I just remembered. I just could read my notes again. The last thing you said: Why do white kids or white boys like rap music? And you yeah. said it's because of the freedom. I believe is that what? Mm-hmm. Am I right? You said it's the freedom, mm-hmm. and there have actually been studies done. And what has made rap music the most popular form of music, white, black, whatever, is even though it's toxic, it is the expression of masculinity that everyone is attracted to because they they feel the entire society trying to suppress masculinity. And so, again, I've seen studies where it's like, You know why the Trump phenomenon happened? Because America is so against masculinity that Trump's willingness to express masculinity in its rawest form is attractive to men and women. And same scenario with rap music. Even though it's toxic, even though it's not the right form of masculinity, at least somebody is expressing masculinity. And so it's like a person uh, dying of thirst in the desert. They'll drink piss. To quench yes. their thirst. And that's <laughs> yeah. what rap music, some people argue Trump is piss that we're drinking because we're dying of thirst. Yeah, that, that's why I love Trump. I saw somebody who was walking into a, an arena where you're supposed to have your ass cheeks tight, and his was, uh, he was very expressive. He was unpolished. And I said, yes, this is exactly what we need in the White House. We don't need the same old cookie cutter Puritan nonsense. And that's why I love Trump, um, because he was not that, because he wasn't so tight assed. It, it was it was exactly what America needed. And that is the masculinity. Brian, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to bring Steve Dace in here. He's another guy that agree with you. Uh, we'll see if uh, I can argue him down into uh, some common sense. Uh, thank you so much, Brian. I got to have you back. Uh, but I, I, I do think you're the perfect guest. That's why we went you hosting thank the Grifties. Uh, you know, you can relate to what Chris, Ho, uh, Chris Rock was going through. I, I hope you never get heckled like that or anyone assaults you uh, for giving out a Grifties. That's why I thought you'd be more sympathetic towards Chris Rock. You, you, you know, I mean, I, I, like I, said, I agree uh, with you. I, I don't think he should have been slapped, but I do agree with you, though, Jason. I just enjoyed the moment. I did right. the, 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 the enjoyed it. <laughs> I think that's the first time we've heard that word on this show with the hard ER. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, not good. All right. Thank you, Brian. All right. Let me tell you about Good Ranchers. While grocery store prices feel like they have doubled. Good Ranchers prices have stayed low and affordable. Once you subscribe, your price never goes up. Your best price is locked in for life. Good Ranchers only sources and sells 100% American meat from local farms and ranches. Their beef is prime and upper choice 
the two highest grades possible. They sell the most amazing ribeyes, T-bones, New York strips, chicken, seafood, and more. You'll get steakhouse quality delivered right to all your home, right to you at your home with Good Ranchers. To get your $30 discount on prime steaks and better than organic chicken, go to GoodRanchers.com fearless right now. Good Ranchers takes the guesswork out of the grocery store by sourcing everything from local farms and shipping it to your door. Just use my promo code FEARLESS to get $30 off your box of 100% American meat or order now to combat inflation with Good Ranchers American Meat Delivered. If you've enjoyed this week's shows, if you've enjoyed what we've been doing, that's why you need to support Good Ranchers. They're the reasons we're able to do this. They believe in what you believe in. It is your duty as a member of the Fearless Army, a supporter of the Fearless Army, to support our sponsors, particularly Good Ranchers. Do it right now. Use my promo code FEARLESS so we get the credit. All right, uh, stick around. Uh, Steve Dace from Blaze TV and the Steve Dace Show. Next. What's up, Bunks? Hey, what's up, Butter? How you doing, man? What you popping off? Oh, man, you know how I do, man. I'm sitting up and got this good ranch is jumping off. You know how I do, man. Are those burgers? Burgers? <laughs> them, is, them is good, old-fashioned American Wagyu steak burgers. Boy, you better watch your mouth. Hey, I man, let me tell you something. Something about this good ranch is I don't know. This good ranch is put a song in my heart. Make me want to sing. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Kind of make it look like rock stars out here with this grill. What we should do, we ought to come up with a little song, a little something. Pitch to the good ranchers, people. See if we can come up with something. What are you thinking, man? What kind of song? I don't know, man. We, we ought to come up with a little jingle or something, man. Something to put a little... Something to, I don't know, man. Maybe something like... Um, roll out to Iowa <laughs> and bring in Blaze TV host Steve Dace, who had a fascinating, fascinating take on Will Smith and Chris Rock, a take that kind of caught me by surprise as much as Hotep Jesus' take did. And so I'm glad that Steve has agreed to join us, but we'll start here with his tweet Sunday night. 
most biblical moment at the Oscars in recent memory. Will Smith pimp slaps a punk for dissing his wife, then accepts an award for portraying a dad who went to the mattresses to protect and provide for his family. More cowbell, please. Steve, I, yes, I disagree with you, uh, but I can't wait to hear your explanation of how you're defending Will Smith's criminal behavior. I just don't, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. I just think his response to a harmless joke just completely out of bounds. I think that we can um, agree or disagree on whether the occasion of the remark was worthy of the response. And I have in ensuing points on Twitter for the last 36 hours said this repeatedly. I've said it on my own show. What really set me off right away actually, um, was the idea that there is never a time for such a response. And, you know, I've been sitting here for the last 23 months, Jay, watching mom after mom challenge COVID stands regulations, challenge the school board with no men around. Mom's walking into the Rite Aid in the Costco without a mask on their own, only to have Creeper Dude on video come up to them and try to corner them for not wearing a mask, and no man comes up to defend them or their honor on any level. Mama Bear after Mama Bear walk into a school board meeting where their kids are taught automatically they're racist and doctrines of demons, and dads don't speak up and are nowhere to be found. And so I, I, I would, I'm, I've been searching for a little Nehemiah-like male overreaction. Uh, and haven't seen really like any male reaction like at all. Um, so I'd number one, much rather live in a culture where men uh, have to be conditioned to not overreact than to not react at all. Um, what I, I so I was just appalled at the idea that there is never, never a time, never a place, never a situation at all where someone could insult you and your wife to your face. And there is never a time whatsoever where, you know, um, the law of the jungle uh, just has to be enforced. I just don't agree with that on any level. I, I go back to the story that CBS News had earlier this year um, where it, 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 a predominantly inner city school, so not exclusively black dads, but mostly black dads, came into the school and started patrolling the hallways. Uh, because of uh, violence and bullying that was going on in the schools. And all of a sudden, there's a marked decline in the violence and bullying that was going on in the hallways. Is it because the dads are smarter than the moms? No. Is it because the dads have a clever turn of a more clever turn of phrase than mom's pithy sayings? No. It's because the implication is there, hey, young buck, why don't you try me on for size? If you decided to maybe try to bully your 130-pound teacher's assistant here this morning, have you thought about me? Um, that's the implication. And I, I go back to the words of the great prophet Ice-T. Social media has taught a generation of people that they can get away with saying stuff that would have had your teeth rearranged in every other previous generation. So when, when I saw that action and what it was in response to, and the fact, and then the look his wife shot him. 
People said, well, he only responded when he got the look. Man, I would have loved, a lot of wives have been giving their husbands the look, Jason. The last 20, you're going to do something, they're masking our kids still. You got to do something about it. You got to do something about that. Now our kids are going to mask while playing hoops. They're going to mask while playing soccer. You're going to get up. You got to do something. A, a lot of good things. A lot of men do righteous things responding to that look. I, I think America could use more men responding to that look, if you ask me. But then, then the seal that what sealed it was with the, was the follow up of his acceptance speech, and you know um, I can't think of a room in America that that we could assemble that would have more cultural influence and and more terrible demonic cultural influence than that one, that more needed to consider the things that he clearly was wrestling with within his own uh, heart and soul and being in that in that acceptance speech. Now, I don't know if that's sincere. I don't know if he just felt embarrassed. I don't know. What I do know though, is I don't want to root against it being sincere. I can't think of a room in America that needs what we, what he was talking about and, 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 and the themes that he was addressing in that acceptance speech to be more sincere than that particular room. And, and I also think that the same Academy that honored child sodomizer Roman Polanski that applauded year after year giving awards to Harvey Weinstein despite his open secret that they admitted to later. Now, this is where they want to draw the line. They're now threatening to take his Academy Award away. The fact that the an Academy that would not know morality, if it slapped him upside the soul, this is now where they want to dig in their heels and take a stand, kind of confirms for me that maybe I'm on the right track here. So I get, and, and this is like a different approach by me, is like whenever a major news story happens, like a major one, I don't like to react over Twitter. I don't like to react instantaneously. I, I, I wanna be able to marinate and gather my thoughts. And so I'm t- when I first learned of this, because I at that moment I wasn't watching the Academy Awards, but when I first learned of it, I had the same reaction as you. Oh man, finally drew a line in the sand. Wow, finally. But then as I thought deeper on it, totally digested it, to- that's when I'm like, nah, this ain't it. When I started factoring in how much his wife has publicly abused him and how this was more about his protecting his own ego and reputation than defending her. That's how I end up landing at a different place. His joke about her hair, completely harmless, inbounds. She did a TikTok video six days ago where she talked about how much she loved her hair and how she was comfortable with her hair. She didn't care what people thought. There are people that believe she doesn't suffer from alopecia. She suffers from years of chemical abuse to her hair while she's straightening it out and trying to get the perfect hairstyle and weave and all this other stuff, that that's actually what happened to her hair. I don't know. I do know that Chris Rock's joke wasn't out of bounds. Regina Hall, earlier in the show, actually cracked a joke about their marriage. And that was far more personal and offensive than some little G.I. Jane joke. And so in, in giving time to reflect and 
factor in everything. I'm like, this is Will Smith trying to protect his own ego. Uh, and then, th listen, there's no reason for a white guy in Iowa for it to hit him the same as a black dude from Indianapolis who's you know, spent time in the hood, lived in the hood, dad's bar uh, business in the inner city. Just black men overreacting and giving into their emotions and reacting violently, just gonna strike me totally different. You, particularly being a Christian, the whole racial implications probably didn't even get on your radar. It's just, a man stood up, yes. And we, <laughs> we do need more of men standing up. But for me, I'm looking at like, here's another black dude that can't control his emotions and someone has said something and he thinks the response is to get violent on an international television broadcast and then in his acceptance speech, doesn't apologize to Chris Rock and blows an incredible opportunity. I don't know if you saw the movie King Richard. It mm -hmm. was well, That was one of the best clearly, movies I saw last year. Yeah. Thank you. To me, it was the best movie of 2021. It, Richard Williams, and I don't care if it wasn't a totally accurate portrayal of Richard Williams. I was just honored and thrilled to see a masculine, devoted husband to his family, that type of movie. There wasn't an ounce that I could find of wokeness in the movie. It was just celebrating a black father and just a father in general. And, and Will Smith had an opportunity, if he really wanted to do something important, he could have stood up in that acceptance speech and say, why aren't we making movies like this more often? Why is every movie other than this one directed at black people or with a big black cast? It's always about our engagement with police and how we're oppressed and how we're victims and how blah, blah, blah. He, he had a chance to stand up and say, we need to, I did, because uh, Will Smith did The Pursuit of Happiness, which was a very critically acclaimed, successful movie that was in the same vein as King Richard. He could have talked all about that and put some real pressure. Y'all want to talk about diversity. How about some diversity in the movie narratives, particularly as it relates to black people? Why can't we do more movies like this that put me and, and black people in their best light? I'm winning the Best Actor Award. He overshadowed all of that and overshadowed every, whoever won the best documentary that Chris Rock was given, no one remembers. Samuel L. Jackson was given a Lifetime Achievement Award, no one remembers. No one is talking about the King Richard movie and the message behind it and the role he played. It was a very narcissistic, selfish act, and it was, he, he was prompted, and again, these are issues that I'm not sure if you're totally in tune with, you have no reason to be, but it's just like, Uncle Jimmy and I talked about it yesterday. Uncle Jimmy worked for years in law enforcement. And we've talked long before this about, man, uh, when Uncle Jimmy was working in law enforcement, he worked in the sheriff's department, he worked in the jail, he'd talk about how many black men were in jail because they did something stupid to win the affection, the approval of some woman who was put a battery in their back to do something stupid. Jada Pinkett Smith put a battery in her husband's back, caused him to do something very stupid, uh, and for him to lose emotional control, embarrass Chris Rock, uh, embarrass the Williams family and all this. And so 
for all those reasons, I just found what he did uh, completely irresponsible. And, and, and I do get how in the moment over Twitter, it's like a man stood up and drew a line in the sand because we do need that energy. And we do need men willing to stand up and take bold stances. But that's why I don't tweet. Uh, I reflect and I, I try to save my best content for either my column or my show uh, because I just think people's instantaneous reactions a lot of times locks them into a position that prevents them from going deeper into the narrative and the story and the point of view. And so, you know, I get where you're coming from, but I just, I just completely disagree. So a couple things I'll say about that. Number one, I don't know what it's like, um, uh, to be black. I do know what it's like to be married. And <laughs> I, 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 I can tell you, it's very hard to be married. It's even harder to stay married. Um, you're two sinners and, um, and, and, and now we've doubled our sinfulness in the home. Um, and, and that's just, if, if, if you, even if you're a believer and you recognize you're a sinner, imagine if you're not and, or one of you is not and you don't. So then you have no self-awareness really to your own contribution to the struggles and temptations that go along with a marriage whatsoever. I've been open about this to my own audience. Uh, about two years ago, my marriage almost ended. Um, we had serious issues that we had not addressed on both sides. Um, and you kind of just put that stuff off because you're in the middle of raising kids and you want to keep that family together. You don't want to be a statistic. You don't want to put them through that disruption uh, and what that does. And um, and that's why a lot of times couples who do that end up in the pastor's office uh, a few months or a few years after the kids leave all, leave the house and they say, hey, we're getting a divorce. We've grown apart because they they put those things off. Well, COVID comes along. And now all of a sudden, we're going to have to address these things. There's There aren't any distractions. There's nowhere to take the kids. The kids don't have anything going on. It's just us now here in this house with everything else shut down. And all these issues now come to the surface. And um, I mean, my wife had the number of an attorney. We were really close. And then you go through a, a coping mechanism. What, 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 what does it take to keep a marriage together? What are you willing to tolerate to take to keep a marriage together when one side is contemplating that they're kind of already have one foot out the door and so they're even behaving along those lines? This is, this is, this is some personal empathy for me understanding having walked through those shoes. And while I'm not nearly a public figure to the extent that Will Smith is, obviously, I still am one. And, and, and in some regards, this is even a tougher road for me because the kind of public figure I am comes with a certain level of moral expectation that him does not, you know? And so um, I, I, I've walked at least a few centimeters in those shoes. And so I understand uh, the difficulty of what does it mean to keep a marriage together when you're very flawed people, when one, particularly if one person's flaws, they're not willing to confront them, but you're still, ex, you know, there's a whole entire book of the Bible about that, by the way, the book of Hosea. Um, you know, this, the, the, my, I mean, my wife, this is why she does therapy now. 
Uh, she just finished her therapist degree at Liberty, and she works at one of the larger Christian therapy clinics here in town. And the stories that she can tell about marriages and what goes on, and this is pr- people that are coming for Christian counseling. So they, they know that this is coming with a particular religious angle, and yet the baggage that goes along with that. We're in a systemically fallen culture. So what I saw, and so just as you empathize with the the cultural angle that you have personal experience with, I was empathizing with the cultural angle that I have personal experience with, which is the uh, 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 when a man is determined even to tolerate things that maybe he wouldn't think he would tolerate or to do things he didn't think he would do, but he's determined to keep a marriage and a family together. And as he said in his acceptance speech, love will make you do crazy things. And think maybe he was addressing both you and I's angles on this when he said that, <laughs> actually. But I, 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 to me, the more I learned about this, because you're right, I, I, my initial take was, Twitter take was that. But then the more I learned the backstory of this, see, I, I go out of my way to not know anything about celebrities' lives. Nothing. I don't want to know. I don't care. I hate the idol worship. But the more that this kept getting thrown back at me, I actually looked at it from my own personal experience. And then the secondhand experience I have from my wife and the stories that she hears all day long. Um, and and I could also see the a guy reacting that way because this is the last straw, especially when you're telling me. See, I, I didn't even know that there was a, another joke about their marriage in the show because I didn't watch any of the show except that clip. So, I, I mean, I, I could see where that tension was just kind of building up the entire all the day long and this now becomes kind of a breaking point to some degree i i think both things can be simultaneously true and i also think there is no more destructive force in the history of humanity there is no more destructive manifestation of our original sin than the fragile male ego it has caused more wars it has destroyed more communities and cultures it is it is it is it is devalued and destroyed more families than any other manifestation of our sin than nothing has come close to the fragile male ego. And I think that's not unique to one particular, um, uh, you know, uh, aspect of, of, of American culture. I think there's a lot of men, uh, regardless of, uh, the pigment of their skin or the language they have spoken that have maybe done things they regret in order to earn the favor approval of the women in their lives. Um, but I think sometimes that can be a positive. I think, I think, I think a lot of men have been not, have, have, have thought that I don't even have to get the approval uh, an affirmation of the women in my life anymore. So I can just be completely passive while uh, they rape my daughter's mind in school uh, or maybe allow her to be raped in the bathroom at school by a dude who feels pretty or uh, choke my children out. I don't have to do any of those things. And, 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 and I just bristle at the notion that there's never a time to react any such way, that there's never any insult or disrespect that could be said about the women in your care and, and and that you love that would that would that would merit such a response. And and that was what I wanted to push back on from the very beginning. But and, and then I've heard the argument, well, because of what has been allowed to go on in their marriage, he has no moral standing to make this case. I think that's the language of the devil, actually. 
I think the devil is the one who says, hey, because you fell down over here, no, never, you, you can't get up anywhere. You can't ever take a stand anywhere. If the, if the standard is when we have reached a certain level of comprehensive moral uh, achievement, we can now take a stand. When there is no red light district in our minds, when there is nothing in our search history we're not proud of, when there is nothing currently going on in our lives that if God called us home, we couldn't look Jesus in the eye and admit because we'd be ashamed to, that's now that is now when we can stand up. If that's the enemy talking, those are all accusations because then no one would be qualified to stand up. I mean, you've talked very eloquently in the past about being honest about your own past and how in the minds of secular America, that doesn't give you the standing to stand up for those things. When in reality, from the Christian worldview, it precisely does. And, and I don't like the idea that if you're, I mean, if you're falling in one area of your life, that means you can't take a stand anywhere else. Um, the Christian, the, the devil, the devil's the one who says to stay down. The biblical worldview is I appreciate you taking this righteous stand here, but now it's time to start applying this and be more self-aware in other areas to challenge people to be comprehensively better, not to essentially say you're so far gone, just continue to circle the drain and wallow in your own sinfulness. So there were just numerous meta arguments. If I had had, if, if I had not heard any of these meta arguments, brother, and had only had this particular conversation with you one-on-one, I might've had an instantly different reaction. But there were all these other meta arguments that I think are far more destructive than this went, this was about a joke and it went too far that speak far more to our current cultural condition, which is largely driven by lackadaisical, complacent and wimpy men that that's what drew my attention to this story from the very minute after it occurred. And so here's what I would say, and that's an eloquent very thoughtful, uh, I'll be marinating on your response for the next day or two. I would say this though, what I think some of us are arguing is like, he's directing where he's standing up, it's at the wrong target. Chris Rock is not his problem. He has been emasculated and ridiculed and he has violated the beliefs that he grew up with. He, he He's mm-hmm. been in interviews talking about he was raised in the church. He, in his acceptance speech, he referenced God and God called him. And so if he really want, and I do want Will Smith to stand up. And what, so Will Smith, according to the interviews that he and his wife have done, his wife talked him into the open marriage. And she comes from a more secular background than he does. And so what I want Will Smith to do is stand up at home and say, you mm-hmm. know, Jada, this open marriage thing, it don't work for me. It undermines my confidence, my ego. It's not what I think is healthy. It's not what I believe in for a family. And I certainly don't believe in sharing all this publicly on your Red Table podcast. And so I argued this yesterday, John Thompson, the great Georgetown basketball coach, had a saying about people need to have three lives, personal life, private life, and a public life. And social media <laughs> and all this stuff has made it all just one life. And so everything's public True. now and people share everything. And so he, to me, he needs to stand up at home and be a man and put some boundaries and parameters on his out of control wife. Uh, and so Chris Rock's not really the problem. And, and then I think there are those, again, when he gets in his acceptance speech and starts talking about God, that's what makes me really say, no, nah, stand up at home, bro. 
on national TV, slapping Chris Rock to make a point to everybody else. You're what? That's not going to satisfy your real issues. And his real issues to me are he's like a lot of men. He's trapped in this, what he believes and what his values are in comparison to the life that he's living. I've been trapped like that. I've been, you know, part of the reason I left LA was to escape a very pagan woman and a pagan lifestyle that I was living that just didn't work with my values and principles that I believed in. And the only way to break that spell was for me to leave LA. Uh, And so, you know, luckily I wasn't married, didn't have kids, things like that, it's a lot easier. But Will Smith is, has been captured by a, a woman with highly secular values, and he's completely unhappy and miserable, and so he beat up Chris Rock because he ain't man enough uh, to break that curse, to get that woman to submit or leave her. Uh, and so he beat up Chris Rock instead. And, and, and this is pervasive. I was talking to Hotep Jesus before you about Like, this is pervasive, what goes on in the black communities, and it's why black people, we define success by evacuating our own communities and neighborhoods that are overrun by single women uh, who are matriarchs, the leaders, they're setting the standards, and that's why from Jamel Hill to Tiffany Haddish, I wrote about and talked about them on today's show, they're all, oh, this is very encouraging. Will Smith stood up for his wife, his black wife, and this is very encouraging. This this mentality of black men being baited into uh, or pressured into or led into being violent towards each other to win the approval of black women, that's why our murder rate, that's why our neighborhoods are so unsafe. Uh, This is being taught that this is the proper way to handle very petty differences. And, and again, when you don't, when you're not the man of your house, you start looking to be a man in appropriate places, Oscar stages. Uh, but when you're the man of your house, you, you can come outside the house and, and like, oh, I can eat that doo-doo. I can eat that doo-doo because I got so much peace at home that I can swallow that. Oh, someone cracked a joke. <laughs> Who cares? I'm gonna go home and Jada got my back and my kids got my back and I'm the king of that castle. He looked very weak to me. Uh, But I I really appreciate this conversation. I thought, well, I'll return the favor. I think what you just said was very potent and eloquent as well. And it did give me um, some perspectives I'd not considered. And I will say, it's a perspective that no one who has disagreed with me in my inbox or anywhere on social media has dared to offer. The disagreements I've had were, um, there's never a time ever, ever to put a dude down. There, words can never, there's Let nothing me make a, a guy point could there. ever say whatsoever that's ever worthy of those times. So there's a frankly, point I wanted to make there, are, Steve. Go ahead. Go Let ahead. me make this point. Let me make this quick point because this is where I agree with you. And this is like, where I wish men would channel the Will Smith energy. I, I promise you this. If I promise you this, 
If somebody at the NCAA swimming championships had slapped the hell out of somebody at the NCAA for allowing yep. Leah Thomas to hop in that pool with women, I would be defending them until the cows came home. I promise you. And See, some that of these was, parents, that's my issue. I think, I think both of us came at this with what is the primary lament we've been wrestling with professionally and personally for the last period of time. I think in your case, it's what's going on in your home base, your native community, and how those issues have been transmitted generation after generation. And in my case, it's what I've witnessed over the last 23 months with dads who say nothing while their daughters are have their positions just taken from them and are completely erased by whatever we all recognize as a bearded lady act, as a man. Men who said nothing and did nothing while their children were choked out or being told that they had to take a second or third ex round of an experimental and dangerous jab in order to come back to school. These are the So I think both of, the, of us are coming at this from the perspective of what What's been the what's been the primary whirlwind we've been trying to confront within our own ecosystems? And your perspective is one that I've not heard from anywhere else. And no one that came back at me offered me your perspective. Everything that I heard was, frankly, just more wussification, just more feminization. Just there's, there's never a time my, I, my husband can, my husband knows that there's no, he doesn't have to. And if I'm attacked, doesn't have to ever violently really. So you're called a filthy, a guy calls you a filthy whore and says, I want to molest your daughters. And you want your husband just to sit there and say, Hey buddy, that's not nice. I, 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 that's the stuff that see to me, that is how we get to, you're dealing with what, what you have seen generationally wreck your community. And I'm trying to confront what I see on a generational level is going to wreck every community. And that is just complete and total lack of a masculine, of, 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 of masculine uh, action and aggression and initiation. And so I think that's really the issue here is both of us coming at this from the perspective of what we have been primarily trying to confront within our own ecosystems here as, a, as of late. Steve, awesome. Every time I have you on, it reminds me why I need to have you on more often. Uh, <laughs> Very kind. I, 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 this was awesome. Thank you so much. You got to right, get Anytime, your fearless army swag at shopblazemedia.com. All right, uh, we're going to take it down a notch and talk a little football with TJ Moe. The NFL's got some new diversity, inclusion, and equity rules. TJ Moe, X. Time to hear from uh, T.J. Moe, the show me kid from St. Louis. Uh, we're going to talk a little NFL. Uh, you guys remember T.J., former Mizzou wide receiver, cup of coffee in the NFL with the Rams and the Patriots. Uh, T.J., the NFL has instituted a new addition to the Rooney Rule requiring all 32 NFL teams to have a black offensive assistant coach. Uh, they say this is because, you know, all these organizations are hiring head coaches on the offensive side. A lot of that has to do with the money that's dumped into quarterbacks. 
If you're paying quarterbacks $40, $50 million a year, it's important that your head coach be able to relate to the quarterback and help the quarterback. And so the NFL has decided that every NFL team has to have a black offensive assistant coach, which they all do. Uh, (laughs) You know, wide receiver coaches, running backs coaches tend to be black. Uh, And so it's kind of a silly rule, but they also say that if you hire a woman, that would be considered meeting this rule. And they're adding women to the interview process of the Rooney rule, including as it relates to head coaches. And so uh, I, I can, you know, there's a hi- hypothetical situation where an NFL team could interview two white women uh, for, to be the head coach, and uh, that will service the Rooney rule. They don't have to uh, interview any other minority coaches. This rule is silly, it's stupid. It's, it's bringing more of the college campus theory to life to the real world and to the NFL and to sports. Um, You know, last week, Steve Kim and I had a conversation about Fox Sports and how they let Troy Aikman and Joe Buck just walk over to ESPN. And I said at the time, I was like, this is a sign that the NFL is going to go further left. That if the NFL is comfortable with the ESPN basically being the number one platform discussing its league, and that's what Aikman and Buck going to ESPN means, that they are the number one platform talking about the NFL, it's an indication the NFL is going to go even more woke. They haven't finished going left. I look at this rule and say, yep, this is what I think is happening and thought is happening. And, and, and maybe Fox Sports let Aikman and Buck walk because they think five years from now uh, on this current path, the NFL may be less valuable than it is today. Uh, I actually think it's a possibility. I think these types of rules, putting, just adopting all this college campus culture, uh, left wing, quota system, upsetting the meritocracy. Again, sports has always been about great competition. Mm. This is undermining great competition and, and just baking more politics and more BS into the NFL system. Um, I, 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 just, I just don't see this as a successful path for the NFL. I, I know I'm saying a lot, but I, I was also thinking this morning, last night when I heard about this, was like, the NFL has never been more ripe for competition than right now. And, and they got this USFL league that Fox is invested in. It's a summer league. You know, one of the far-reaching thoughts I had is like, I think the SEC and the Big Ten could break away from the NCAA and just do some sort of, just make college football even more professional. And it could be a threat to the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they stuck to the old school values and rules. But anyway, I wanted your thoughts on this new NFL rule and where you think the NFL is headed. 
Well, you mentioned that it, it's a silly rule, and it is a silly rule. We went over this several months ago, uh, and I brought you a study that suggested it, that not only does the rule not work, but it may even be counterproductive because it ends up emasculating a lot of men, putting them in a room just for show. Um, the rule does not work, so they moved on. It's like you know, people make fun of conservatives for always talking about the slippery slope. Uh, we, specifically with gun rights, we talk about this. We're not giving an inch because you always take a mile. We went from interviewing a minority coach one time to interviewing a minority coach two times to now mandating the hiring of a minority coach and or, well, and a woman who uh, would not be a minority in the world, but in the uh, NFL. So this is the slippery slope. This is exactly what we talk about. And it is not the rule itself is silly and it means nothing. It's an empty rule because the likelihood of a woman filling this role is almost zero. And there are already black coaches. I disagree, but I hear you. Yes, I I think it had been unlikely, but I do think uh, in the next 10 years, there'll be a woman head coach in the NFL. What I mean to say is that if someone goes that far, they most certainly already have black coaches on staff. So this will not the woman will not be filling this role. If they're if they are that woke, they've decided that we're only going to have a black and woman staff anyway. And so, you know, it's like. Reading the article, I sent it right back to you when he, when he said, it was actually Rooney who said, well, we hope to have female head coaches in the near future. I'm like, and, and in the meantime, we're going to have, you know, a woman will be able to satisfy this rule. When did black men and women become interchangeable? I mean, that, that was my first thought. What a, what a weird thing to clump toge- together. And if everybody is so convinced that the NFL is racist, are we just going to see white women everywhere? That's obviously ridiculous, but that's what a lot of these people would tell you. And if the justification for more black head coaches in the NFL is because the makeup of the (coughs) NFL is 70% black men, what is the justification for adding more white women or women in general? They don't make up any of the NFL. How many women actually want to coach football in the NFL? And when did wanting something become the only qualification for it being awarded to you? When did the NFL's on-field product become a charity? We're going to be trotting out a bunch of make-a-wish coaches if we have a woman on every team because they're just not qualified to be coaching in the NFL. And so, again, going back to you mentioned that it's a silly rule. It is a silly rule, but it is the principle that is a serious problem because the slippery slope, where does this stop? I don't see any transgender coaches. I don't see any gay coaches. And why are we stopping at coaches? I haven't seen a, an Asian kicker. Seems unfair to Steve Kim. I haven't seen a female quarterback. That seems problematic. You know, it, it, if we're going to go down this line, who gets to decide proper representation? And if it's the woke mob, what happens if they change their mind? And what happens if one part of the woke mob the Black Lives Matter leaders disagree with the feminists. Now what? And if we're just divvying out quotas for every single group, why do we even have interviews? Shouldn't we just get all the leaders of the movements of the historically oppressed groups in a room and divvy out positions based on victimhood status? I mean, this is the principle. I'm, I'm trying to point out the absurdity of how far this can go if you are deciding that identity is the only thing that really matters. Um, There is no rational position you can take that supports hiring based on identity. I think the logical extremes make it untenable. And and the problem is, is that people think because you can do the opposite and that's bad, that this would be good. What I mean is that we can all agree that not hiring someone 
based solely on race and gender is a bad immoral thing. You should not consider that as a disqualification. But hiring someone based solely on race and gender is equally bad and immoral because it strips everyone of the power to control their own destiny with hard work, preparation, focus, and all the other tools we have at our disposal to differentiate ourselves from the man standing next to us. And so what it does is it turns the American dream into a lottery. When you're born, you'll know if you can get the job or not. And that is a reprehensible way to live. You know, so many thoughts flood through my head when, when I think about this and, and what it says about our culture and, and society. Uh, it, it, it's, it's hard for me to even keep up with just all the different negative consequences of mm. shaping a world like this. Because you said like, and I want to clarify a comment you made. You said, when did black men and women become interchangeable? Or did you mean when did black men and women become interchangeable? Yeah, you, specifically so, white women. Yes. And, and, and it, it, people have said this about the civil rights movement for 30, 40 years, that the civil rights movement did far more for white women than it did for black people. And that th this entire, again, I've said Black Lives Matters, all of these civil rights, they have virtually nothing to do with black people. They have everything to do with the advancement of the LGBT crowd and mm -hmm. women and feminists and now trans people. That's what the real agenda is here. And so they're taking football of all, and again, if they can do this to football, where they're not talking about hiring qualified people. It's just like, oh, well, these people want it. And it's mm -hmm. no different than, and this is why I say like, what Jim Harbaugh did, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, with this female Georgetown basketball player. She's now an assistant coach with their quarterbacks at the University of Michigan. I'm just sorry. Just, I, I get that maybe she wants to be a coach, a football coach. But is she really more qualified than a bunch of guys who played football all their life? Probably even if they just played it at a NAIA level, uh, what, is, is she better prepared to help Michigan's quarterbacks prepare than some guy whose whole life has been devoted to playing and or learning the game? I get that she wants to, and I get that it makes a great statement, but here's one of the, in their minds, here's one of the main things that, that I think about what's gone on with American society and culture is when you detach yourself from religion, you don't see yourself as part of an overall journey of leaving things better for the next generation. And so what, what I'm looking, there's men in football, all of them for Roger Goodell down. No, none of this has to do with leaving things in a better place. They're doing whatever they can to preserve their jobs. Roger Goodell wants to do whatever he can to make sure he continues to make 50 million a year. Troy Vincent, his underlings, probably making five to 10 million a year. He's trying to do, he's trying to do everything he can to preserve his job. Uh, 
NFL, Jerry Jones and the NFL ownerships that, that won't stand up and put a stop to this. They want to preserve their ownership of these teams and their ability, because again, they generate so much money. None of this is about an overall good for society. And so when I look at all the progress we've made in America in 250 some odd years of our existence, a lot of it was dependent upon people making incredible self-sacrifices to move the country ahead and to keep it on course. And that spirit, no, no one does anything for America anymore. It's always about the individual. I sit here and think that we had a uh, Democrat president, uh, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, who asked, historically, asked not what uh, you can, what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Mm-hmm. And we've completely divorced ourselves from that mentality. And we've completely divorced ourselves from the other icon of that era, Martin Luther King, saying, let's judge people by the content of our character. Uh, we've pivoted 180 degrees from both of those mentalities. I, I just, and I'm just baffled and stunned. And, and, and the people that have pivoted claim that Martin Luther King and John F. Kennedy are their inspirations. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's mind blowing to me. I think it goes back to self-worth. And you mentioned, I'm actually really glad you brought this up because I had, uh, I was gonna say this as an aside at the end, but, but you brought us to it. It is an identity crisis that we have never seen before. Why would you ever value the lives of future generations if you don't value yourself? And how can you value yourself if all you are is made up of what you decide you are today? So if you ask somebody today, it's one of these identity obsessed, you know, um, some of, I mean, we're, we're getting to the point where it's not just millennials, but let's say one of these identity obsessed people, who are you? They might say, I'm a trans woman, pansexual, political activist, TikTok influencer. I'm fighting for trans rights. That's the definition of themselves. And I was reading Ephesians 1 and 2 last night. And how does God define us? God in Ephesians tells us that we're blessed, that we're chosen, that we were adopted by Jesus, that we're redeemed in Christ, forgiven because of what he's done, marked with the seal, given the Holy Spirit, we're loved, made in Christ, uh, remade in Christ when we deserved death. We were saved by grace through faith, and we are deeply loved children of God. That's all said in two chapters in the Bible. And so that's what I think about myself. So if I am valued that much, by the creator of the universe, so is everyone else, because I'm a nobody. So there is my reason to leave the world a better place for the next person. But if you have such a low value for yourself and you are the only one creating value and you get on Facebook and you get on Twitter and you read your mentions all day and everybody disagrees with you and says you're garbage and you have such a low self-esteem, why would you ever care about the next generation coming through? If you have no value for yourself, you can't value anyone else. Mm. It's good stuff, TJ. I got to let you go. I got to keep it moving. I hope you guys are on YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit those subscribes. Hit the notifications. Hit the likes. Uh, We got to keep this train, this fearless army rolling and moving and acquiring new recruits. That's on you to do. 
All right, Uncle Jimmy and our approval rating for Chris Rock. X. We must exist in a state of man glorious as we are protected by the red, the white, and the blue. But remember, the mind is the key. The fearless soldier pledges to place God first and foremost in his everyday endeavors of life. We, the fearless army, are one nation under God, indivisible with freedom and a belief in the American dream. The men bold enough to join our movement comprise what we like to call the new dream team. We are leaders of our families, our churches, and of this nation. We reject the seeds of division that are planted by corporate media misinformation. We affirm that all men are created equal and are endowed with inalienable rights, which are granted by our Heavenly Father. We are bound by honor to accept God's challenge, to take the flag and lead, to cherish, to protect, and to nurture the life of our unborn seed. I am a fearless soldier, so shed no tears for me. I am not a victim. I am the man that God made me to be. Amen. All right, welcome back. Uh, time for uh, the approval rating. Your favorite time. Your favorite yeah, it really is because, show. you know, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on uh, what has transpired on today's show. It's been phenomenal. Your thoughts? It's been pretty doggone good, big bro. I'm going to be honest with you. It's, yeah. it's been good. I, you know, I kind of like that Hotep and I disagree. I, 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 it got a little, we, we got a little nervous back in the control room. We was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, come on, bro. I, I, I need you back, bro. <laughs> easy, easy. What did he say? He, did, he, did, did the brother say, I need a little, I need, I need some drugs and some violence in my life. <laughs> he did, and he dropped the N-word. Uh, was there something that caught your attention? Or? Well, I, I had something I want to share with you. I shouldn't share it with you, but I'm going to share it with you. Uh, my mother called me this morning, and she called. I'm be honest with you. Normally, if my mama called me, I know it's a trick to it. It's some, she got some huckabuck up her sleeve. But she called me. She said, "So hey, baby, uh, how was the show yesterday?" I said, "It was cool. It was good." She said, "Y'all talk about uh, what y'all talk about the Will and Jada?" I said, "Yes, ma'am." She said, "Well, what was said?" And I pretty much gave her the paraphrase of everything that was said. She said, "Well, what'd you say?" I told her what I said about black men overcrowded in prisons and what Will should have done. She said, mm. she said, I sure wish you would have took the opportunity to say something else. What, mama? What, 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 what did you want me to say? I wish you would have took the opportunity to say that, well, it was a time at least a black man stood up for a black woman. <laughs> I said, but mama, it was at the expense of taking down a black man. She said, yeah, I know, but it was just an opportunity just to say that 
The black man took up for the black woman. We just need more black men to take up for black women. I'm like, mama, but if you're looking for that, just go to the prison system. It's overcrowded. <laughs> men. <laughs> Taking then, up for the black woman. And, and then she, no, Jimmy, I'm being real serious. And finally I said, I, I understand, mama. And I said, no, I gotta go. And I ended the conversation. And I ended that conversation, Jason, and I realized that she's been telling me that all my life, and we hear that all of our life. And what I wanted to say to her, and what I didn't say to her was, I want to say, damn, mama, you know, I understand what you're saying, that you want a man to defend you. But damn, didn't the last man defend you? Didn't my daddy die defending you? And you done forgot that already? But that's how she acts. You forgot. But I have to deal with that, man. So anyway, come on. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, just, I'm sorry, bro, but that's I, how I feel when we go through that, man. Well, I, you know, I, I, black women talk about black men don't defend them. You know what the problem is? It ain't that we don't defend you. Y'all don't remember. <laughs> I, I would say it's. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, and this is why I keep, I keep saying we're trying to. I want to get the crew here in town so we can have a series of discussions just about the relationship between black men and black women uh, because I'm just telling you, it's like they want us. I love it when y'all play checkers in a game of chess. Because you ain't going to win. Will Smith was playing checkers last night. Wasn't it beautiful? And it's like, well, the game is chess. <laughs> Not checkers. But I know, but it just felt good to see him just play checkers. Just to see checkers. it happen. <laughs> I mean, I, I know OJ killed that white woman, <laughs> but it was just good to see a black man get off. <sighs> anyway, so yeah, don't. We say that stuff, Jason. Make sure your mother, she watches this, knows I, that today. I, I ain't got to worry about that. She don't watch it. That's why I can say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can get away with it. I know she ain't watching. <laughs> well, she just know. Today's show, the topic and the motto had nothing to do with her, but it doesn't surprise me. All right, uh, <laughs> let's get to our approval rating for Christmas. Mama, you ain't! <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's get to our approval rating for Chris Rock. We've talked about the Will Smith side of this, uh, but we haven't really talked about how this makes us feel about Chris Rock. Uh, and so I'm going to, we'll start with job performance. Uh, I'm going to give him a 20 in job performance. I think Dave Chappelle has unseated him as the most dangerous and funny comedian going. And at one time I thought it was Chris Rock. Chris Rock used to do a lot of humor that I found enjoyable and risky. He's gone a little bit woke. Uh, and so I'm giving him a 20 in job performance. I give him a 25 because this... Dude took the phrase, the biblical phrase, turn the other cheek. He took it to a whole new level. <laughs> I mean, honestly, man, he, I mean, honestly, he, he, he stood up and let this man slap him. And he, he, he exhibited a self-restraint that I, I can't even imagine in today. I'm serious, in today's society, all we see is mammoth bras. This dude utilized restraint. Jason, if that's me and he slapped me and then he turned around and walked off, you'd have heard, you'd, you'd, all you'd have heard was glass breaking. <laughs> that's all. What, what the phrase say, man, I'd have had him touching everything up in the Grammys, man. Come on. <laughs> uh, let's move to character. Uh, 
you know, I, 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 with you, kind of like he turned the other cheek. That's a high character move. Um, he got divorced from his wife, you know, and he talked all about how he couldn't control his love of pornography and all that. I don't know if you called on him. His wife was fine too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so sure. I'm gonna give him an 18 in character. I give him a 25. I give him a 25 because what he demonstrated was he he demonstrated how far he's come from the character Pookie from New Jack City. <laughs> Remember Pookie was Pookie was in bad shape. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when he slapped him. Because Will walked up and slapped him like he's slapping a crack pipe out of him. And Will and, and Chris had that look on his face. <laughs> and I was thinking as he walked off, I'm like, boy, Pookie getting ready to beat the mess out of Will. But then what really bothered me when you say character, <laughs> I realized I turned into Oprah, Oprah Winfrey from the color purple after he slapped him. Boy, he slapped him, Jason. I was like this. I was like, don't do it, Mr. Seeley. <laughs> Don't trade places for what I done been through. <laughs> I thought it was going to get bad, man. Come on, man. <laughs> Authenticity. I think Chris is pretty authentic. If you've seen Everybody Loves Chris, mm-hmm. is it Everybody Hates Chris? I can't remember. Everybody hates Chris. They hate him, Jason. Yeah, everybody hate hates him. Chris. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's a everybody loves Raymond. Everybody hates Chris. Yeah. And they so, love the white dude. They hate the black dude. Yeah. Well, Chris has been pretty authentic. Like, he was bullied and kind of a punk in school. And uh, so, you know, taking that slap, that's not the first time he's taken a beating and kept on ticking. So he's pretty authentic. I'll give him a 19 in authenticity. That's funny. You and I both say the same thing. And I give him a 20. And I said it basically for the same thing that you said. People talk about Chris Rock. He was... So what he started off in Carolina, he uh, went to New York in the Bronx or somewhere. Now you talk about him being beat up in school, but you do realize he was beat up by white kids. The, the school he went to. So in other words, this wasn't the classic case of I got bullied by black. No, he got bullied by black by white kids, and these white kids bullied and beat Chris up so bad, Chris dropped out of school. So yeah. I mean, to, so in other words, that slap to Chris, that was nothing. It was like people think that he was being funny, and he was like, wow. Will Smith just smacked the crap out of me. He wasn't even being funny. He was just simply saying, that's, that's that mentality, man. He, I, I, that's what I give you. He's been through it before. He's been uh, through it before, man. It factor. Uh, I think anytime you get slapped on national TV and you have no response, that's going to lower your it factor. Uh, it, it's so I got him at a 17 in it factor. Jason, I'm giving him a 22. And I'm going to be an A, Jason, because it could have been a whole lot worse. You understand me? We we always talking about how our people act and how our people do. Be honest, Jason. That could have been, it could have made it look good for, it could have set us back two or three hundred years, black people acting up, tearing up the Oscars. Honestly. Could've it could have been a bad the, look. Could have turned into the BET Awards. Is that the, what the, the, the B, exactly. <laughs> I mean, sir, I mean, honestly. Yeah. But hey, I and I, I give Chris all the credit because ain't that what we say we need more people to do? Yeah, turn the other cheek, have some class, show some dignity. Uh, you got him at blazing hot at 92. I've got him at that a, right now. a grease fire uh, 74. Hey, man, if Will Smith hit me, I got two words for him. Law suit. <laughs> Come on, man. Keep your right. to yourself. That's it, and that's all for us. We'll see you tomorrow. Hey, man, can I listen to Tamara?